Hello, friends. Thanks for tuning in this week. Before I present the guest, I would just like to ask, as always, please follow on Spotify, on Apple, and review as well. I think that's only on Apple. Really appreciate it. Really helps the podcast grow. And if you could do that, I would really appreciate it. So on to the guest for the week. I have Daniel Vassello. Daniel used to work for Amazon and decided at some point that it was just not for him anymore. Although he was making a great salary, he just decided that this is too time consuming. I don't love what I'm doing and I want to switch it up. So he made the bold move a couple of years ago, quit his job with no real plan in mind and just decided to see what will happen. What happens next is pretty amazing. Daniel, well, you know what? I will let Daniel explain exactly what happened next. So you can just tune into the episode. But we definitely talk about taking risk, about what he explains is a portfolio of small bets, why you don't have to be a, air quotes, master at something in order to sell an info product, how to drive traffic, and the importance of transparency when building an audience. This was fascinating for me. I'm in a very similar space, similar to Daniel, and some of the insights he had, I will definitely kind of brew and ruminate on and see how I can implement them into everything that I do. So I think you guys are going to love it. If you're a creator, if you're someone of an entrepreneur, a bunch of really, really great tips for you here. So without further ado, let me introduce this week's guest, Daniel Vassello. Enjoy the podcast, everyone. The Genuinely Interested Podcast. Daniel Vassello, how are you doing, my friend? Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Lai. How are you? I'm doing great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm great. I'm uh, I'm enjoying the sun today because it's been raining for the past couple of days. So finally, there's a bit of sun. I'm happy about that. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to have you on because I've been following you for a long time and I have a lot of questions for you. So I'm, I'm really pleased that you made some time and uh, came on the podcast today. Awesome. Yeah, happy to share my perspective on uh, on anything. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Uh, all right, so let's kind of like let's let's go back and then build up. Um, I want to learn more about you. Where uh, where were you born? So I was born in a very small country called Malta in Europe, just okay. a tiny island south of Italy, one of the smallest countries in the world, actually. <laughs> um, so. Uh, uh, I, I, I grew up there. I lived there until I was about 25, 26. Then I moved to Ireland for work. I got hired by Amazon, actually. Okay. And then Amazon sort of invited me to move to Seattle. And this is where I've been living for the past almost 10 years now. So you moved Malta, Malta, Ireland. How long were you in, in Ireland for? Uh, a couple of years, yeah. Early oh, 2010 to 2012, yes. And then from Ireland to Seattle. Yes, yeah. That's awesome. How was that move? Was was that the first time in the U.S. when you moved over, or you've been? Oh before? yeah, yes, yes. No, no. It was the first time I've even visited, actually. Yeah. Oh, wow. No, I, I, yes, I love the U.S. Now. I mean, it's you know, I've set up my roots here, a family, but a house. Uh, it's where I feel like I belong. So uh, very happy that Jeff Bezos <laughs> gave me this. <laughs> this <opportunity>. Thank <laughs> you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> 
How was the, did you have a bit of a culture shock initially? Like how was it uh, when you moved? Um, I, I don't, I don't, not, not initially that obviously now it's advice. I, I see lots of cultural differences, but initially when I moved, um, um, uh, you know, especially since both me and my wife were still, you know, we didn't have any kids. We were just focused on work. Mm-hmm. You know, the work side didn't really change much. We were both working uh, for an American company. My wife was working for Microsoft, incidentally, a Seattle-based uh, uh, sort of company as well. And um, no, the move was quite good. I mean, now sort of uh, I see lots of differences between yeah. sort of the Southern European way of life and mm-hmm. approach to work and life versus the American, at least West Coast or the general coastal area culture. Um, happy to talk more about those, but um, sure. the, initial sh- the initial part was quite gradual. <laughs> it's, fu- it's so funny you mentioned that. I, I have the same thing. I moved over from a Mediterranean country uh, eight years ago, Israel. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, I, initially, I, I, same thing. I, I didn't see the difference. I'm like, oh yeah, it's, 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 it's the same. And then three, four, five, six years in, you start seeing a lot of differences, a lot yeah. of differences. It wasn't visible in the beginning, but it's, I can definitely see it now. And I appreciate both things. It's not like one is good, one is bad. It's just very different. Exactly. No, no, absolutely. And I think I used to get those semi-shocks when I used to visit back. You know, I used to go back about once a year and I used to meet with my friends and family. And uh, then th- that's where I used to see the striking difference. Basically, I used to sort of notice, oh, like these people are, work, for example, right, are working a lot less than I am, right? They sort of don't have a lot of professional burdens and obligations, but they're still as happy or uh, as sort of living fulfilled lives as I am. Or yeah. they're earning, you know, just a fraction of what I'm doing. But again, like they don't seem to be missing anything, yeah. which sort of used to make me think a lot about the cost of, for example, you know, living in the rat race and sort of uh, trying to climb the color ladder and things like that, which long story short sort of made me revisit my, my, my sort of my life. And yeah, so you, 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 you kind of got to that point for me already. Like that was kind of going to be my next question. Yeah. So I'll, maybe we'll set it, uh, you know, set the story for people a little bit. You worked for Amazon for, for a few years, you know, making good salary by any measure in any country. And then you got to a point where that's it. You just decided to quit. Maybe you can tell the story for people. No, yeah. I mean, so so I joined Amazon initially as, uh, you know, I I was always, I think, sort of reluctant to join a big corporation. I sort of, I always had sort of, um, sort of, I always imagined myself not fitting well Mm and lots of structure and things like that. Nevertheless, I remember I was still in Malta and I was feeling like I was missing out on the learning side that I was reading blogs from other people online at the time and sort of feeling that I would never learn, you know, part of technology or part of software development, which was my profession, right? Um, unless I were to sort of go into the big leagues. Yeah. So um, that's, that's how it started. And initially, that's that's what I was getting. Right? The first couple of years, I was absorbing a lot, learning a lot. It was quite fun, new thing, a new adventure. Um, but then sort of as sort of that learning and that sort of that, that, that part diminished, um, sort of what was happening on the other side, I was getting sort of rewarded by other means. I got promoted twice very quickly. I got the offer to move to, to the US, which I appreciated a lot. 
my compensation was increasing, almost doubling after a couple of years, which was beyond my expectations. So I think there was a part in my first half of my term there that I think I fell into the trap of believing that there's no other alternative for me. I mean, I was thinking mostly in financial terms that there was even starting my own business or going somewhere else. It just didn't make sense in my head, like because just the time I would need to even recover to where I'm at yet, just the area under the graph where I would lose would take probably years to fill up, to, 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 you know, to fill up. So, um, for a while I felt like, you know, this is it, this is what I'm going to be, to be doing right? because like in terms of expected value, in terms of financial expectation, probability times, you know, times, uh, payoff, yeah. <laughs> this was the best route. Um, until again, sort of, I, and I think it started, as I was saying before, like going back for vacation, like taking those yearly breaks and sort of seeing firsthand through my own eyes, a completely different way of life, which, you know, I had been living to, but I'm had almost forgotten, <laughs> um, where um, sort of it's, it was probably the first trigger point. And then I think sort of I went back and I started looking around me, right? And I started noticing people that were higher up than me, like in terms of level and status and compensation. And to be honest and to be quite blunt, I didn't envy any of them, like envy in a good way. Like I didn't feel yeah. like I wanted to be in their shoes at all, mm-hmm. right? I was seeing people that were, you know, highly successful by all measures, but they were leaving their house uh, six in the morning before their kids wake up. They stay there uh, until seven, eight. They return home where their kids are about to sleep. In the weekends, they sort of have lots of things to do. They're, they're always stressed out. Um, and, you know, I mean, you start wondering, like, what's the point, right? Yeah. So I think basically I realized that I would be fooling myself if I believed that yet another bonus or yet another promotion would ultimately change things, right? Um, so, you know, basically one day I realized it was pretty much almost over and I said that my 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 sort of chapter in big tech is over, that I just need to take the plunge and leave. I, I wasn't even thinking of, I just want to sm- make a small change. Like I, I, I realized what I knew 10 years before that, you know, working in a highly structured environment is not very compatible with me. Yeah. It's just, it took me, it took me a while to exit from the trap <laughs> of people dangling sort of bags of money. <laughs> bags of money it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> yes. So, so, so yes, that's, that's how, and it still took me another couple of years since sort of I had that, uh, that, you know, I realized that I wanted to change until I actually changed. Part of it was I wanted to find the right time. You know, I was in the middle of a new project and sort of, I was back then. I was thinking that I needed to plan a little bit, even though now in hindsight, I don't think sort of any type of planning really helps in those situations. If yeah. you can afford it, I think it's better to just take the plunge and then <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you so you didn't have like a, a, a like a concrete plan. You weren't like you know what I'm leaving. Uh, I'm going to do yeah. ABC. I'm going to set up uh, interviews. I'm going to start a startup. I'm going to do. You were just like. You know what? This yeah, isn't yeah. for me. I have faith that I'm going to do something good and I'm just going to take the, the plunge. Yeah, I think the only concrete plan I had was I didn't want to go back. Right? Yeah. Actually, you know, many people who leave and this is I, I've since I left, I met many people who took a similar sort of took a similar approach. And I think I noticed two types of approaches, like right? people who leave, but with the belief that they have a fallback to go back. And it's always, even my case, I probably mm-hmm. I could go back either to Amazon or some other place if I wanted to. 
And I think those people who to take to who do that almost always end up going back right? because I think you take a very different risk sort of approach, right? Because I I left with almost like certainty. I mean, you can never say never, but almost con- with the full conviction that I absolutely didn't want to go back, yeah. which I think it helps me a lot in sort of focusing a lot on the downside. Like I tweeted recently that, which resonated with a few people. That I think when you take this take this approach, you're not really uh, trying to maximize your profits or your income or whatever. You're just trying to maximize the odds that you don't have this lifestyle taken away from you now. Mm. Right? Is that you don't have to go back to to a full time job. Yeah. And I think sort of this helped me initially. It was still hard, like because you know you're dealing with ambiguity and lots of uncertainty. And uh, there was quite a bit of a stressful period the first six months, I would say, uh, until things started to click. Um, but sort of this attitude really helped me in sort of not just saying, oh, uh, it looks like this is not working out. I'm just going to back, go apply to, you know, to work at Google or Microsoft or whatever, right? which yeah. is many of sort of colleagues, ex-colleagues that I know ended up doing um, if, you know, they started with sort of this fallback. So yes, to answer your question, no, nothing really concrete. I had some vague ideas. Initially, I thought that I'm just going to build a software business since software was the thing that I knew how to do. And um, mistakenly, now I can say in hindsight, I thought that the best odds for me to succeed was to do something that I was expert in, that I had been doing for, you know, 20 years almost, right? And in a domain that I knew a lot about. So now I realized that, you know, (laughs) um, sort of, it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, business is such a randomness laden venture that sort of what you know. I mean, I I, I see I see people. I, I have friends now that have only started, for example, programming a year ago, and they're running hugely successful software businesses, making you know half a million dollars a year or more. And uh, you know, others who have been doing programming for many years who are struggling. Like I yeah. tried. I did start a software product. It's doing almost. You know, just breaking even. So I'm definitely not succeeding there. <laughs> the things that I succeeded in were things that I would have never imagined myself. I could have never predicted um, be, to be doing back two and a half years ago when I sort of I made this move. Which I think is a very interesting insight uh, in terms of how to approach, you know, the self-employment journey. Right? This, this sort of you want to uh, sort of be open to new opportunities and, um, uh, not really be sort of blinded and put your sort of just a rigid, uh, set of expectations about what you, what you want to be doing, because otherwise you miss out a lot of, you know, sometimes luck happens to find you. And if you're yeah. not looking for it, <laughs> yeah. you just, you just miss it. <laughs> yeah. I think people are, are sometimes naive when they say, or maybe they just don't want to admit it when they say that luck had nothing to do with it. This is all hard work. And I'm always like, ah, there's always a little bit of luck. There's so many people out there that are like smart oh, yeah. and hard and work hard, but some, like you said, some don't make it. And uh, there's always like a little bit of factor on luck, I think, involved in any success. Oh, absolutely. Not that, not, I would say, um, uh, I would say the outcome is probably, probably mostly determined by by randomness like by luck whatever you want to call it by things outside of your control i think there are definitely some requirements you know you need to work uh some amount you need to you know maybe build a good product you need to do some basic things that you need to put you need to have something on the market uh those are those are necessary obviously but they're not enough right i think for things to work out there are things that are extremely hard to predict um, that uh, are outside of your control. 
And I think the only way to make them more predictable to make sort of is to try to try many things, like to take a trial and error approach, a portfolio approach, I call it. So it's okay. just to try many small bets. I, I like to call it that way. Um, which is, when you think about it, this is the same uh, mentality that uh, venture capitalists, you know, movie studios, book publishers take, right? Where, you know, a book publisher might publish, you know, hundreds of books a year. Um, some of them, well, a, a small number, one or two might become bestsellers. The others would break even. Some of them would lose money and so on and so forth. Like same things for venture capitalists and investing in startups and movie studios and so on and so forth. I think it's it's important to, um, at the individual level, do something similar with your project ideas, right? Is that obviously, you know, as an individual, you can't start like a thousand businesses or like a thousand books or whatever. So you have to be even more rigorous with the types of bets that you want. You need to have an even higher filter than the startup investor who says, oh, this looks interesting. I'm going to invest $100,000 or whatever. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, I think you still want to take a portfolio approach, which is the same approach that, that those people uh, take. Um, and uh, you have to find a group. Like uh, For me, it happened to be like you know three or four things right, that in my, in my view had potentially low upside, but decent amounts of odds of working out. And, um, you know, surprisingly, the things that worked out best, my biggest hits were things that I was probably the least optimistic about working out, so, which, yeah. <laughs> and, and pretty much the opposite as well. The thing I invested in most and the thing I was mostly optimistic and the things that um, at the time had the biggest signs in terms of, you know, interest from people and other things turned out to be the ones that didn't work out well. So I think the best way to, you know, to strategize in this sort of randomness laden situation, again, it's just to um, uh, to approach luck by having a large surface area, having lots of small safe to fail bets, and um, and then you sort of take it take it from there, right? It's, yeah. It's otherwise, um, uh, if you just you know. There's lots of survivorship bias when we hear stories about people who started with single idea. They, you know, they they committed to it hundred percent. I mean, yes, I believe that I believe them, and I, I sort of definitely their efforts and their work mattered. But there's probably you know thousands of others for everyone who succeeded who did pretty much the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> right. They focused on one on one thing, but the good product and the good uh, was you know worked hard and had lots of good things. But you know, it's just uh fate and destiny just didn't meet <laughs> yeah. uh, to to help you sort of make things work right and they went back to to their full-time job or or whatever right? so, <laughs> <laughs> there's so many there's so many factors yeah it's um essentially it's not putting all your eggs in in one basket yeah, it's just exactly. it's you wanna you wanna try to and i'm i'm, I'm kind of doing something similar and it seems like this is what's happening and i don't know if it's Maybe COVID has has kind of put rocket fuel on it and accelerated, mm-hmm. but it seems like, at least from what I'm I've been seeing in the last couple of years, is COVID has kind of put you know rocket fuel or whatever other fuel you want to call it on on the digitization of of our economy. Everything from the creator economy, uh, you know, direct to consumer stuff, fintech, crypto, everything is just accelerating. And we maybe would have we would have gotten there in I don't know ten years, fifteen years, but it seems like we've gotten there like. You know, like in a split yeah. second where everything is just 
changing so fast, it's hard to keep up. Like I think, oh, I know about something and then there's some NFT stuff coming up and then there's new thing coming up. It's just, have you noticed that as well or am I maybe delusional? No, 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 absolutely. I mean, there's, um, oh, uh, uh, yes, definitely COVID, you know, uh, fueled many, many, many different things. But I think in general, like at least me, me personally, because I don't really spend too much time and energy in trying to predict what's going to work, you know, mm. NFTs and things like that. You know, I, I read about them just out of curiosity, mostly. Yeah. Uh, well, out of curiosity and just, I always asking myself, is there an opportunity for me to do something so that I'm obviously willing to try to try things but I, I don't believe, at least for the type of, you know, the, the way I'm working, I don't think it's important to be good at predicting the future. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, um, I can, I, well, what's important, I think, is to just be exposed to the opportunities. So I'd be able to have these chance encounters with things that could work out and to have the capacity, both time and energy and sort of inspiration to be able to try things when inspiration strikes more than trying to figure out what's going to work or not. Um, um, So, yeah, I don't really look too much at trends as well. You know, what I try to look at uh, rather than trends is what is really working right now, right? Because I think, as I mentioned before, uh, I think you have to be very rigorous with the things you try out. You don't really want to go for the one in thousand odds of success type of things right yeah. the highly ambitious highly speculative thing highly speculative things um so i think one 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 good filter is uh, what are other people doing that is working out for them like this is for example one of the most successful one of the earliest successful things i had was writing a very short technical ebook about aws right something i knew quite a bit about and I pretty much just marketed on Twitter. This made about $125,000 lifetime in about a year and a half. Uh, but it was, you know, very inspiring, which led me to many other opportunities later. And uh, um, I think what inspired me to try was I saw others, like people like me, right, mm-hmm. uh, doing something similar. It's basically uh, trading some of their knowledge for money in the form of a PDF, <laughs> essentially they did a brain dump of something they knew really really well they didn't really go the, t- the traditional book publishing approach which has very different economics like many people i know who try that have a completely opposite experience they spent two years working nights and weekends on their book uh lots of tedious work edits and things like that only to make ten thousand dollars or whatever right yeah. which many people swear they will never do it again, right? Or <laughs> or things like that. Whereas with the self-published routes, right? I mean, obviously you, you sell less copies with each less people. Um, but I've seen, I, I had seen before I had started um, a few other people like me, right? Who managed to uh, make a good enough sum of money to make the effort worth it, right? I mean, uh, that's that's sort of what matters. So yeah, I, I tried that. No guarantees that I was going to make it work. I had very low expectations, but I time boxed it. I said I'm going to spend a month on this. Whatever happens, happens, um, and uh, and it works. But I think what's important again is that I started. I I tried this because I already noticed that it was working for other people like me. Yeah, right? and I think that helps a lot. Um, because you know, when you're marketing things and pricing and things like that, there's lots of psychology involved. Like, wh- wh- why do we pay five dollars for a coffee at Starbucks and we're reluctant to buy an app that's for ninety nine cents? For, for ninety nine cents, like, yeah. there's, 
And this, I don't even try to explain them. This is just weird psychological and cares and all these, you know, biases that we have in our lizard brain that sort of <laughs> evolves fitness for like, <laughs> the, you know, the, the historic era. Right? So I think one way to compress all that weird psychological things is like, what are people, how are people already behaving? Like yeah. people today are, are already comfortable buying stuff online. They're buying from individual people. They're already comfortable, you know, putting their credit cards on the internet, right? And the, the many of them using social media, like there's already creators selling on Twitter. So basically I said, let me try exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. What the only thing I'm going to change is the, is the material, right? And, and I think strategically that helped like increase the odds that this will work out. It, it removed lots of variables because, you know, I also believe that when something doesn't work, you can never really tell why it didn't work. I mean, you can never tell precisely. Like, I don't really believe in these retrospectives to try to analyze because there's a million different things that could yeah. have happened and you only need one thing for it to not work. That yeah. it could just be the price, it could be the product, it could be the marketing, it could be you know one small sub, sub thing of those things. But when something works, of course, still you, can, you can't really say what's, what's, um, the, what are the things that are must or they were a must for it to work. But at mm-hmm. least you can say that, um, uh, you know, uh, this this thing can can work, right? So this, it's not really validation, but it's a, it's a, it's something that tells you at least this part is potentially viable, right? Yeah, which is sort of I think helps you in sort of filtering out opportunities and figuring out <laughs> what bets to make. So you put out um, these info products, and you used Gumroad. I'm curious why you decided to use, um, I guess, Gumroad as an outlet yeah. when there are, and maybe not hundreds, but there's a lot of uh, yeah. info services out there that sell e-courses, that sell e-books, that sell you know all this type of stuff. Yeah, no, initially, pretty much the same answer. Initially, um, I, I chose Gumroad because uh, I find I found myself buying from another creator, oh, I and I realized there was going Gumroad. And I use the same psychology. Like if it worked on me, <laughs> like if I tested the <laughs> yeah. chances are, and you know, this is not a perfect heuristic. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm not, uh, I can't be generalized to everyone, but I think it's a very powerful one. Like, uh, and this, I give the same answer where people ask me, um, how do you decide, how do you decide what to set, how to set your prices for your products or what type of copy you use or how many testimonies to, 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 to rely on. And I pretty much always answer like, I, you know, I try to analyze my own behavior when I'm the buyer and I try to sort of um, replicate that, right? And sort of do something that would work on me. And again, like it's not perfect, but at least in the absence of other data, mm-hmm. which initially we tend to not have, I think this is a very strong, um, sort of very, very good way of of dealing with all these sort of ambiguous uh, things. So yeah, initially Gumroad was like that. I I, I found myself buying a PDF from another person. And they said, oh, this is interesting. I, I actually read the PDF. I found, wow, this was very useful. I felt like the 15 bucks I spent were money well spent. I took a look at about what, what they were using. They were using Gumroad. I tried Gumroad. You know, it was very easy to use. And there you go. That's one decision. Yeah. <laughs> that's all, that's <laughs> so, all you need. Yeah. Do you think you have to be um, a master? Because, you know, Let's say 10, 20 years ago, prior to the internet and 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 um, the accessibility of everything online, if I were to sell a book, you know, saying uh, how to how to something, whatever it is, 
you know, I would have to give credentials. I would have to say, oh, I have a PhD in this. Yeah. I have traveled the world for 40 years. I would have to have some sort of a background on this topic that I'm selling you the book on. Now, not so much, right? Or, or yeah. and, and how do you feel like that? You know, how, how do people perceive that? Like, are people looking to get this information from, quote unquote, air quotes, masters in the in the realm? Or are they good with people that are maybe just, I don't know, uh, been doing it for a couple yeah. of years and this is their... Uh, insight into the matter? No, no. Uh, I think one of the most fascinating things I discovered is that um, in this self-publishing economy, right, where there isn't, there isn't the gatekeeper of the publisher looking for credentials and authority and things like that, is that I think it's created a market for people to learn from other almost beginners who just figured things out mm. recently. And I'm noticing this from buyers. And I, again, I noticed this for myself. I started, for example, woodworking as a hobby recently, just, just a few months ago. And I'd found myself, I mean, I watched lots of YouTube, bought a few courses, and many of them were super daunting. Like these people had like shops, like, you know, 5,000 square feet, yeah. and they spent like $100,000. I mean, and they do some nice furniture, but they feel inaccessible to me. Whereas the ones that I learned most from were people who had just, you know, started woodworking a couple of years ago. They were, you know, working from their garage, sharing their, their space with the car, <laughs> and they were just working, you know, with $1,000 worth of tools. Because you see yourself in them in a way, right? You're like, oh, I can do this. Yes. Like, this is, yeah, accessible. Exactly. I think, I think we, we tend to prefer learning from people who are just a very small step above us, who just figure things out very recently. And I think um, in the info product economy, right, you can take this as an advantage. You learn something recently, and then you can ask yourself, what is the type of information or the type of sort of stuff that I wish I knew a year ago, right? Mm -hmm. And you can sort of make that, this your product, right? You're, again, I think one of the most important things is that you speak from first-hand experience, you, you say the truth, right? You, 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 you sort of, uh, you make it part of your marketing, right? This is, I just, I just did this and here's everything that I learned. This basically my second uh, info product, which was my bestseller, was, was basically much this. Right? I basically, it was a, it's a product, it's a short video course about how to build a Twitter audience, which is basically how I did it. Right? I started when I left Amazon, um, I had a little bit of a crisis pretty much immediately. Like the first week I realized, wow, out here, nobody knows who I am. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, back at Amazon, I had a bit of a reputation inside the company. People knew my name. But outside, I had never written a blog post, no open source, nothing, right? Yeah. I was completely unknown. And it led me to building an audience, quote unquote. Like it's sort of basically, I, I prefer calling it getting myself known a little bit, right, mm -hmm. essentially. And um, and again, like I'm not a marketing person. It's not some. I'm not trained into these kinds of things. And I figured pretty much things by myself, style and error. I did lots of things that were a waste of time, right? Or they didn't really work out. Long story short, um, uh, sort of my what happened when I released my first ebook, and on Twitter I started started posting a little bit of you know some of the statistics about the sales. People were asking me. The most common question was, like, how did you manage to build an audience that was interested in this book? Like, how did you do it? Like, you started six months ago and you had no followers. How come you have 10,000 followers now? Yeah. And I kept answering the same questions <laughs> sort of <laughs> every day almost. And I, I realized, like, that there's more that I can say about this that doesn't fit into a tweet reply, essentially. 
And um, uh, and this became my second info product. I just prepared some slides, uh, did a Zoom meeting with myself, pressed the cord, nothing fancy. Yeah. <laughs> I just talked over, did a brain dump literally in real time and, you know, set it up for $40. And, you know, this product made over $250,000 in a year and uh, three months, essentially. That's quite, quite That's incredible. Amazing. Uh, yeah. Again, like I... I have a I have a text with a friend of mine just the day before I I released it. I said, like I'm 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 not very optimistic that this is going to do better than my first product. So I like back then I thought this was just you know another small bet. Yeah. <laughs> how many <laughs> you thought you peaked? I thought yeah I thought like a technical product, which was my first one, like something like a programming how to was likely going to be more. Um, you know, would drive more word of mouth and things like that. Whereas, you know, to my surprise, this turned out better by, again, by <laughs> any measure. But again, like back to your question, again, I basically um, emphasized that like, you know, 12, year, 12, 12 months before I, I knew nothing. Now I know something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a developer like you, like I was targeting to tech people. Like I'm, I'm an introvert. I'm not, I'm not sort of trained in this kind of things. Here's everything I learned condensed into an hour and a half. And that was the value proposition, essentially, right? I mean, um, it's it's one of these types of product that um, uh, it's the, the, the value is more inspirational rather than a programming mm-hmm. book where you learn a skill, right? In a programming book, you know, you read it, it's like an instruction manual that you learn some techniques. Yeah. This is more like, Here's what I did, and maybe it will help you, inspire you to do something similar, maybe in a different way, because obviously, you know, building an audience, it's not like you follow three steps and you do it, right? But um, it's, it's sort of a different dynamic. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I highly, highly encourage people who feel that they know something interesting and something useful to people, even if they're, uh, even if they're quite new to it, to actually use their newness as an advantage and market on it. That's, a, that's very interesting. And uh, yeah, I never thought of it that way. But w- w- while you were talking, I had I had two thoughts. One was, um, oh, I'm blanking. What was it? Oh, yeah. So one was the, it's almost like half the Twitter course. Did that drive Twitter audience like or Twitter followers? And then vice versa, the Twitter followers, that also drives people to the yeah. course right so it's almost like these two things are working yeah. side by side in order to grow their uh one the audience and the other the sales right yes no and no then- so um yeah yeah i mean to, to answer quickly yes i mean um uh success brings with it more success so there's yeah. this weird thing and i think this is again why randomness and luck have a big factor in the outcomes right absolutely like like I could, you know, I, I was mentioning these numbers, you know, 120K with the first product, 250 with the second one. I think there could have been some very, very small changes in the world like when I published them that could have mm-hmm. changed the outcome of these, the, the actual sales figure drastically. Like for example, I got, you know, maybe retweeted by a, f- a, few, a couple of influential people about products and that mattered a lot. And if those didn't happen, probably I would have made half the amount or one for the yeah. amount or... Or the other way around. Maybe I could have got an even bigger endorsement by, you know, by somebody more important, and I could have made twice as much. Like basically, what I'm saying is like that's small that luck factor. Are, yeah, the outside of our control can have huge impacts on how this goes, right? So, um, 
so yeah, so I, I forgot what was the original question. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. it was it was just like uh, what I like I said previously when you were talking. One was that the other was that people are just as interested in the info products that you put out, but they're also interested in the process now, right? So like, it's probably like equal parts, this equal parts that like people are yeah. reaching out to you because you put out these great info products and they want to learn more, but they're also interested in the fact that you made so much money and made those successful and thus reaching out to you to learn more about how you did that, which I don't know if that's like, that's a, a almost a side effect of that, right? Like that's probably not something that you envisioned. Um. Yeah, so I didn't I didn't envision it initially, but I I'm I'm uh, sort of intentionally doing it right now. Right? I'm sort of trying to pretty much everything everything interesting that I'm that I'm going to in my life. It almost became a habit yeah. that I'm looking at my phone, looking at my computer, looking at my screen, and I see something that I think it might interest other people. My default is to take a snapshot and tweet about it, that or write something. Same thing about about my hobbies, essentially, woodworking and sort of, uh, you know, building a custom home or other things. Like I, I have no intention of monetizing those necessarily. Right? It's just it's just became part of 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 my my sort of my my how I live. <laughs> it became a habit. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I think you know when people follow you. Initially, at least they follow you for selfish reasons. So they want to learn from you and they want to see something that could help them. Right? So I think when you're giving these uh, sort of insights, again, that they're not common, right? Or there's lots of demand for them. Like um, here's, here's something that's working. People tend to be very curious and tend to, they tend to follow because they expect more of it to, to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I had a very popular tweet just a couple of days ago that right? I just closed four hundred thousand dollars on Gumroad in total. You know, it was like six a.m. in the morning. I was looking at my phone. I saw and the round number four hundred dollars and one four hundred k and one hundred dollars something yeah. like that. Took a screenshot again. I said just I just closed four hundred k. I don't have all the answers, but uh, ask me anything. You know, and they give you my perspective. And I got like hundred and fifty questions, like uh, all like in the matter of a couple of hours. And lots of people DM'd me like they found it super useful because they were asking me all sorts of things, like what things that we're discussing here. Um, and um, um, uh, and yeah, like these these are the type of things that make more people follow you. Like I, I gained like another thousand Twitter followers wow. <laughs> from the tweets right? because wow. people kept retweeting it yeah. and uh, it keeps driving things. So um, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's you know, there's the saying, sell your sell your sawdust, right? It's sort of you know, the side yeah. effects, the side products, and uh, sort of the 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 knowledge that I'm gaining, right? The thinking that I'm doing, the strategies that I'm doing myself to try to navigate sort of life as a self-employed person, dealing with uncertainty, de- uh, dealing with variable income. Um, and all these kinds of things. Right? It's, I think about all these things all, all the time, right? And sometimes I, I just keep the thoughts to myself. So, <laughs> uh, so well, you know, when I when I get invited to a podcast or I get questions on Twitter or in other places, it's sort of an opportunity to keep sharing all these things that I've been thinking about for the last year or two. Yeah, <laughs> right. And and condense them. <laughs> well, what what I appreciate about you is there are a lot of people on the on the internet that share their uh their wealth but they do it in a in a very 
boasting manner, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, oh, look at my car, look at my house, look at the, you know, the chains and the gold and all that crap. <laughs> yeah. You do it in a very transparent fashion where you're showing, hey, this is what can be done. And and there are a few other few other people that do it in that yeah. manner. And that's what I appreciate. It's not like it's not to show that you made money. It's to show what is possible. And it's to show what can be achieved if you do, if you take these steps and these measures, which is very, yes. very different than the others. No, I, I think that should be the intention, right? I think uh, uh, I, I like to say like, um, so, you know, what, what can seem boastful can seem inspiring to other people. And yeah. again, going back to the fact that psychology is complex. Many people tell me or you know, dunk on me, telling me, you know, this boastful and humble brag and whatever. So even though it looks like to you, maybe that it's not like that. Some people yeah. see it. I don't like see that. it. I don't see it like that at all. Yeah. It's, but it's, again, like it's just, you can't please everyone, right? And it, it doesn't work. I mean, the same message doesn't work with everyone. But mm-hmm. um, again, like I try to uh, post the content that would work on me. And I make an assumption that people like me would find, would, it would inspire them. I think when you're online, when you're on Twitter and in other places, uh, you have to uh, know it comes with the with the game that you get people who see it completely differently, right, and <laughs> interpret it differently. Um, so, you know, one nice thing about Twitter um, is that you know the people who follow you tend to have already filtered themselves out. Like if they feel like you're yeah. boasting, it's easy to unfollow someone and yeah. they just go, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so. In general, my feedback is very positive in terms of, uh, as we're saying, like people tend to be curious. I mean, selfishly in a good way, like they just want to know more for themselves. Like I want yeah. to do something like you, you're you doing, you know, what about this? What about that? Right? And sort of. Twitter can be Twitter, Twitter can be a great place if you follow the right people. Like you can learn a lot. Now it's yeah. you know sometimes it's it's a little bit more too many too many of these threads and that's become like all too common as well. But generally speaking, if you follow the right people, I really think you can learn a lot. Um, where do you think or where have you noticed? Not think where have you noticed uh, the best place to drive traffic has been for you ba- back to the to, to the info products. Uh, I, so, um, you know, what worked for me was pretty much almost all Twitter, right? But Twitter. I would definitely not say that that's the only approach, right? I mean, I know many other creators who brought traffic to the info products, to to YouTube, to play notes, search engine optimization, to just personal networks, right? I know people who had like no social media presence, but they're just in the industry, they were, were, they were well known, uh, just word of mouth and things like that. So, um, uh, in my case, I mean, Twitter, as we are, you were saying, like something clicked with me with Twitter, I like the concision, it just felt very natural for me to document what I was learning and share. And I just prefer writing rather than appearing on video. I, I prefer li- writing short form actually, which is perfect for Twitter. Yeah. So Twitter was compatible with me and it just worked. And, and maybe I'm leaving money on the table by not focusing on other things as well, but sort of in terms of. Uh, I have a little bit the luxury right now to do the things that I like rather than to, yeah. <laughs> you know, do other things that I have to do, you know, against my my will, sort of. <laughs> um, uh, so, yes, I wouldn't necessarily translate this to mean that only Twitter works or Twitter is the best place, right? Probably not, actually, right? But there might be other places that work better. Um, but I think it's good to find the, the, you know, to sort of find a medium that's really where it's compatible with how you like to express yourself. Yeah. Like if you, maybe if you were doing a course on uh, how to take, you know, 
Instagram pictures, it wouldn't be a Twitter wouldn't be the ideal probably. place to promote it. It would be better yes. obviously on Instagram probably, or TikTok. Yes, probably not. Although I wouldn't necessarily say it wouldn't work. Right, it might not yeah. be the best. But if you prefer Twitter, I would still probably give it a shot. Right, it might um, uh, still work. But yes, I think I think probably the best factor is like what do you feel most comfortable? What comes natural to you? Uh, because I think it's important that it doesn't feel like a big deal if you want to share something. You don't need to, like, video. I'm not great on video. Like, I'm not the kind of person who, like, takes selfies and talks to the video camera. Like, it still feels awkward to me. Yeah, um, But there are people who are pretty much the opposite, right? That they're great at it. And I think those people do extremely well on YouTube or Instagram or TikTok or other places. Um, I just like to have a thought and I express it on Twitter. I find enjoyment sometimes and, uh, you know, condensing what I want to say into 280 characters. Yeah. Um, so it's almost comes very, very naturally. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm assuming most obviously like uh, writing an ebook or, or a PDF course or, or however mm -hmm. it's called, it, that's, that, that's work. But I'm assuming the majority of the work is after, let's say I'm a, I'm a, I'm a creator right now and I put out a, uh, you know, an e-course. I, I wrote the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I'm uploading it to Gumroad. Like, what are my next steps? What are some things that I should be doing now? Because I, I and again, I don't, I've never used Gumroad. I don't know if you can promote it on the service itself. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe you can, but like outside of that, like, what are some things that I should be doing? Yeah, no, um, uh, I think it's pretty much all marketing, right? I mean, that's, that's what's the main. So no Gumroad. I mean, there is a discover marketplace on Gumroad, but I, it's sort of, you shouldn't expect to have a lot of sales from there. Yeah. I think basically Gumroad is just a tool. Gumroad is just like Stripe, right? It just helps you collect money and mm -hmm. transfer them to your bank account, essentially, with some other tools uh, like, you know, features to help you uh, do discounts and bring on affiliates and things like that. So yeah, all the work is marketing, right, essentially. And I think, um, um, I, I, like, Marketing is one of those things that I sort of, again, like I started with no knowledge, no, no experience, no, no skills, I would say, but you know, it's, uh, it's super important. It's one of those things that uh, almost requires as much creativity as creating the product itself or even more. Because I think if, if you do one of these products, it's just a brain dump of something that, you know, you almost need no creativity, but you're just dumping what you know. Yeah. I think marketing is again, lots of time and there what works, what doesn't work. Um, and you just need to get, you know, it's, it's, it's simple, right? You have a funnel, you need to get people to, to know about the product. Some of them will be interested and they click. Some of them will be interested and they will check the preview. Some of them will like the preview and choose to buy. Yeah. Some of them choose to buy and not ask for a refund <laughs> and so on and so forth. Right. Um, and, um, at this point, like in my own for product life sort of, uh, cycle, I'm barely promoting anymore directly. Right? I just yeah. have the link in my Twitter bio. I get 200 profile visits, 200,000 profile visits a month right now, just Twitter organically. And that translates to some clicks and some people check out what I'm doing. And there's still some, some word of mouth that's very hard to track, but I, I get people telling me, oh, somebody in my, uh, at my workplace recommended your course or your book. Right? So there's still some momentum going of word of mouth that's going down by the way i mean my last info product is almost a year old and sort of you know the graph is going down at this point that is, is that kind of business yeah uh, where you get like spiky based on your launches and things like that 
Um, and uh, uh, I think if you if you want to become a full time info product creator, right, that this becomes your way of uh, that your your main income, probably. Um, most of your work is going to be figuring out how to get people to know about your products, marketing, right? And potentially creating more info products, right? Because that's, you know, part of the marketing, you know, I, I had, I took a class in marketing. That was one of the four P's was products, right? You create more products, yeah. <laughs> right? So you can, you can work with pricing, promotion and packaging, right? Those were the four P's. The five P is products, right? So, um, um, uh, sort of. Uh, what I, I would say part of the work is being out there looking for what people are interested to know more about that you happen to know something about, right? And then, um, and this is where I think Twitter as well really helps me, right? I mean, I, you know, I spend lots of time not tweeting, right? But just scrolling on Twitter, which people, many people think it's a waste of time. Yeah. But for me, actually, I feel like this is my, <laughs> I call it my cocktail party equivalent, right? I, I, hate, <laughs> I hate parties. Right. I, but I love the idea of parties. Like I yeah. love the idea that you go somewhere, you spend a couple of hours and you bump with random people and you have random conversations. Yeah. Um, Twitter is my equivalent of that. I scroll around, I see people doing different things. Right? Most of the days there's nothing interesting, but sometimes you bump into something uh, interesting and you start a conversation that might inspire you. Uh, to you know look more into it. It might inspire you to start talking about it yourself. These, you know, these are the things that that lead to more ideas, maybe six months down the line, essentially, right? So, um, so yeah, so uh, to, to answer your question, yes, lots of marketing, and then I think it's just waiting and looking out, keeping your eyes open for inspiration to meet with the opportunity to create new products, right? That's um, awesome. Yeah. Um, do you think? I mean, the internet has kind of democratized many things for us you know, books, broadcasting, uh, movies, essentially any content that we get now, it's, it, 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 I don't need someone else to authorize it. I can just publish it and I can keep the majority of the profits. Do you think we're going to see a complete shift at some point to more user generated? Or do you think they're always going to be, the two are always going to kind of coexist together? Um. No, probably they will. Right? I think the the you know the traditional sort of way of doing things still has value. Like if I um, want to maximize, if I have an idea and I want to maximize the reach, probably going to the traditional routes is probably like if I if I want to, if I if I'm creating a movie and I want everyone in the world to see it or almost everyone, probably the best route is to go to Hollywood and the usual places. Like same with a book. Yeah. If I have some great idea. And I want sort of all uh, as many people as possible to know about it. I'd rather contact one of the main publishers and try to get to that. Um, I think what the what the sort of new way is helping is uh, if I want to maximize um, sort of my ROI, essentially, right? of of the asset that I have in my head, right? Some knowledge that I have, some insight, some experience, and I want to maximize the revenue, the the income that I get for that i think the you have higher expected value to make more money again like there's going to be outliers like you're never going to become like the next jk rowling and make a billion dollars from self-publishing yeah. on gumroad extremely unlikely yeah. right <laughs> um, um uh, but uh 
obviously the odds of you know making a billion dollars from a fiction book are one in a billion though like, <laughs> like, uh, whereas if you know something about a programming language that you know you can write 100 pages about and you can make hundred thousand dollars from it it's still not easy it's still not you know a, a slam dunk hundred percent odds obviously but you know you probably have 10 percent chance 20 percent chance depending on many other circumstances if you have some audience already if you have some credibility already and things like that but um it's democratizing i think obviously the internet had democratized the ability to say what you want you know, for everyone for a long time. I think the new thing is like um, people are able to make money from these things, right? which is becoming more easy right? to actually um, exchange some of your knowledge for um, for money. And this is happening like with newsletters, like we're seeing more common paid newsletters, right? which until I think four or five years ago, there were, um, you know, I had never heard about them. Same thing with sort of, uh, ebooks and video courses. I mean, these things might have existed five years ago, but these become more common, both from yeah. the creator side as well as from the buyer side, which is yeah. which is very important. Right? There's like the things are working, things people are used to them. Yeah, yeah. We a few years ago it was everything for free. Now it's starting to change where we realize, yes. oh, it's, if there's content I appreciate, I will actually pay for the podcast or for the newsletter or for the course, etc., yes. etc. Yeah, that is. There's definitely a shift in um, consumer mentality on that. 100. percent One, one, yes. One fascinating things I'm realizing by from my woodworking experience as a consumer, life is like somebody who's learning. Is that, for example, on YouTube, um, uh, you know, some YouTubers make some money from YouTube's program, but apparently it's not a lot of money that right? you need to be making millions of views. Yeah. Um, but many, many, many creators, for example, create a Patreon account, right, where they can get their fans to just spend $5 a month or even $1 a month. And, you know, sometimes the value proposition of this Patreon account is not that great. For example, they might tell you, we'll release the videos like two days before we publish them on YouTube. It's not a huge deal. But, but, but it works. Right? I mean, and I saw, it happened to me as well. Like, I mean, there were some creators that I learned so much from them that I felt, um, really willing to give them five dollars a month just for all the knowledge that they gave me like yeah you know it's like my way of paying them right? yeah. which is a very fascinating economy and dynamic right where it's almost like tipping but it's not yeah. even that right it's sort of a, 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 another thing 100%. um uh, yeah so it's very interesting that's sort of very very uh interesting how many opportunities there are now to um yeah, so there, there's never been a, a, a better time to be a creator, I think. And um, yeah, I mean, look, yeah. we could go on for another hour about this. I know you have to go, so I don't want to take up uh, much more of your time. But before I let you go, mm-hmm. um, are you happy? Like, is this how you envisioned it when you when you left? Yeah, no. So I think this is the happiest I've been probably forever. Oh, wow. That's I, great. I've, uh, so I don't know, you know, happiness is one of those things hard, obviously, to measure. Define, yeah. But yeah, I think I think um, I've, I'm I'm managing to design my lifestyle around my own preferences. Obviously, there are still some things that I like to improve, but uh, I feel in console of improving them more. And um, you know, I'm and this is you know one of the fascinating things. Like I'm making much less money than I was making two and a half years ago. Like. Uh, less than half still mm-hmm. even though i'm quite successful right um uh, I, I you know i have a i have a profession that's less prestigious it's very hard to describe what i do yeah <laughs> that's one of the awkward <laughs> things <laughs> um, uh, then 
but um, you know, I have I have two kids. I have a, a young family. It's great that I can you know take time off without asking people's permission. I can sort of spend uh, you know my my working days, uh, you know, again like working on whatever gives me energy and gives me inspiration. Yeah, and it's very important that I I feel like I managed to find the trick to fend for myself. I call it, which is probably this could. T- be another podcast episode. episode where <laughs> where there's something that again super hard to describe right? but I, I feel very confident now despite my income being very variable and there's lots of uncertainty that one way or another i'll manage to make ends meet and uh be able to sort of continue to survive <laughs> yeah. uh, without having to go back to a nine to five job right which Again, like that helped me a lot in my peace of mind. And right? when that happened, and I felt like I managed to figure this out, um, which, by the way, this doesn't mean that my existing businesses and my existing products are going to continue to sustain me. I still have to find new ways, yeah. very likely, very soon. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel very confident that I will find them. Right? It's, it's a very weird thing to describe, but <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, some, it's something uh, every entrepreneur kind of goes through, right? It's uh, yes. it's those ebbs and flows. But I think being a master of your time is is something that um, yeah, it's it's hard to put it's hard to put a price on that, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Daniel, this was a lot of fun, man. I, I know you have a hard stop. I know uh, we could have gone for another hour easy. I know. Um, just uh, give some plugs. Where where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, where can they find on Gumroad? Anywhere else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, the best place is Twitter at Divasallo, D-V-A-S-S-A-L-L-O. And I have links on my Twitter profile to everything else. Um, but yeah, on Twitter, I'm super active. I'm there every day feel free to ping me, ask me questions, follow me and so on and so forth. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Well, go, uh, guys, go follow Daniel. And Daniel, this was a lot of fun, man. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Like, I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> All right, man. Take care, buddy. Thank you.